afternoon. It's uh, Wednesday, the 24th of November, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Patrick Henningsen, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by Alex Thompson bringing us Eastern approaches from the Netherlands. Well, normally we look on the uh, Commonwealth as being a, uh, a nice part of the, uh, what do we describe it as, British influence overseas, our Commonwealth sharing democracy, sharing wealth with nations, but it's not looking quite as good in Australia. No, it's not, uh, Brian. Uh, all is not well in the Commonwealth, uh, as you say. Let's take a look at uh, what's going on in that part of the world. Uh, so a lot of people might have been noticing on the news, this has been a big story uh, out of the Northern Territories, well, uh, very much so on the uh, sort of alternative media channels, uh, limited amount of coverage uh, on the mainstream media as well. So uh, what we're looking at here, this is no, this is not China, that's not a Uyghur camp, or this isn't some sort of facility uh, in Siberia, Brian. Uh, no, this is Australia. It's incredible, isn't it? It is incredible when you think this is Australia. This is Australia. And so as we showed you in the last news program, uh, the Northern Territory has gone a bit heavy uh, on their sort of zero COVID policy here and regional quarantine facilities and camps for indigenous close contacts. So we're going to go back to Michael Gunner. He's the chief minister of the Northern Territories. He's the one that gave that uh, outrageous uh, presser that we played uh, just the other day. Uh, let's look at, take a look at what Mr. Gunner has to say and listen very closely. Say that um, most people in Binjari, Rockhole and Walpuri camp have now received their first dose. Does that mean most of the people in those communities in that camp were completely unvaccinated at the beginning of this? Uh, all I can say is that they were below 70% first dose when we went in to respond. Um, our advice now, having gone door to door, talked to everybody in all three locations individually um, around what their vaccination status is, checking that against the Australian Immunisation Register and our PCUS database, and then um, confirming their vaccination status or administering the vaccine, uh, we now believe it's 100% first dose in all three communities. What does that mean in terms of cutting transmission and sort of the situation on the ground in my problem. Well, the, the Doherty modelling shows that if you can do something along those lines, you have potential hospitalisation. So, so well, I don't know if you, did you catch the uh, key word there, Brian? Okay, try me. Door to door. Door to door, There's yeah. A, going door, door to door and they managed to get it from 70% up to what they think is 100, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So the, this is really about 100% vaccination compliance. This, yeah. this is what this is about, this and, emergency. And, and we remember that going, and we go back a year, and of course we were being told that if we get vaccinated, that's all the problems solved. Now we've got 100% first dose vaccination according to this man, and that's such a huge problem, you need to be in a camp. That's right, that's right. Well, an internment facility, they're calling it a quarantine uh, facility here, Brian. So let's take a look at uh, Mr. Gunner here. Uh, this is his Facebook page. Uh, this was just released uh, uh, the other day uh, as a, on the 21st. And we'll just look closely uh, at the, the, what, well, we were gonna scroll down. Unfortunately, we won't be able to do that in the slide configuration okay. that we're using, but- People uh, can check it for themselves. Just can. go and have a look at that Twitter. They can, uh, it's on his Facebook page. And uh, 
This is one of the key words here, so it's, it's highly likely that more residents will be transferred to the Howard Spring detention camp uh, today, either as positive cases or as, quote, close contacts. And so they're in, in, including close contacts. So if you've been in close contact with somebody who's been infected, you go into the Howard Springs uh, uh, quarantine camp, what's really a detention, a detention camp here. And they're, they're cherry picking various uh, cases here, you know, a 78-year-old woman with comorbidities. Uh, that's also in this message. So within his Facebook post, uh, you can see that embedded in there is all the, the yeah. usual script from the very beginning. Again, they're using the same COVID script from two years ago. Yeah, uh, as if nothing else has happened. Just yeah. stay on the line, stay on the rhetoric. Stay on the script here. Let's take a look at the quarantine uh, facility here. Uh, this is this is here in Howard Springs, and uh, you can get a, get a, get an idea of what this is like. These are kind of modified corrugated steel uh, uh, sort of cabins, if you will, and then you have all this sort of PPE, hermetically sealed staff uh, and staff here, uh, doing all leave, spraying the food down, leaving it by the door, uh, and so they're allowed out to do exercise for a period of time per day. They even have a swimming pool, which we'll show you at the end here. But you can see how this theater is done for the camera here. It's all very sort of controlled. And here she'll, even though it's COVID's around, she'll, you know, she takes off her mask to, yeah. to do the swab. Yeah. What, what I find so objectionable about this is this is a gulag. This is a prison camp. This is particularly And yet it's being sold as if it's some sort of holiday camp. Yeah. It, it's, we're going to make it nice and bright but the reality is it still has a fence around it. Exactly like a holiday camp, Brian. You're, you're, you're right there. Catering staff not wearing masks, but here for the camera, the manager puts the mask on. So you can see that it's, it, a lot of it is, is theater here. And uh, again, they're doing the rounds, uh, making their deliveries, mask and a visor. This is out, mind you, in rural Australia, right. uh, where the temperatures can reach quite, quite high degrees. And here's the holiday camp this is they've got these travel vloggers who are staying in the camp who are putting out these videos with with kind of happy clappy music right saying how great this is and she feels oh it's just like normal basically yeah. so this this is a real play on people's minds isn't it you're doing one thing with them you're taking away freedoms you're putting them in a, a gulag and you're selling it as if it was a a vacation destination get in that warm pool alex if i can just bring you in um, this is very, very skillful propaganda, which we are now seeing coming across nation, national borders. So we see seeing the same techniques happen, whether it's in the US or UK or Australia. This is a play on people's minds. Yes, and of course, it's regarded as a soft start, buttering up the general population of the English-speaking or Five Eyes countries, because sadly, the attitude to these Aboriginal territorians hasn't changed much, much since pre-Dominion colonial days in the 19th century. They are regarded by a certain layer of government as uh, natives who are only going to have their lives improved by being fiddled with. I mean, one uh, time when that came to the fore from Western Australia was in the uh, popular film Rabbit Proof Fence, where um, uh, ladies who were still alive and elderly and were interviewed at the clip at the end of the uh, the dramatization said uh, what, what was portrayed really happened to them, that they were continually seized and put back in camps to improve their upbringing. The same thing's been done to Western Canadian Aboriginals. 
Uh, one thinks of the Chagos uh, archipelago, where when Britain saw a juicy opportunity to hand Diego Garcia over to the U.S. Air Force, the colonial at the FCO at the time, the colonial administrator, wrote, uh, the only problem is that we have to get rid of the Man Fridays who, who occupy the island uh, chain. So and they had a miserable death, of course, in, uh, in uh, places like Mauritius, most of them. I'm afraid uh, from the point of view of a cynical administrator, it is, and in strictly material terms, it probably is a step up. Uh, to be in that shiny um, sort of um, butlin holiday camp with barbed wire around it um, from from the point of view of those who've come from the likes of Binjari Northern Territory. But of course, this is going to be rolled out further. And uh, the location there, the Northern Territory, where the US uh, Marine Corps uh, are very strongly embedded now around Darwin and doing perpetual exercises against the Chinese Navy is, is quite relevant here because, you know, from our point of view of, uh, as a former Five Eyes intelligence officer, we were continually told the Aussies were not even foreign to us. They're one of the dominions, the white dominions, and they're on our side against the yellow peril, against the risk of Indonesia and other countries in Southeast Asia abusing human rights. Now, Indonesia has never done anything remotely like this, not even in the Suharto era that I'm aware of. Okay, there have been massacres for sure in Indonesia, but there haven't been rounding up uh, of the population and putting in camps since the Dutch left. Uh, the tables have turned, and yet Australia is still militarily, in terms of security alliance and diplomatically, regarded by Britain and even by America as not really foreign, as part of us. Yeah, part of us. Thank you, Alex. No, Take us on through, Pat. Excellent points uh, by Alex there, and some of those will become very relevant in just a second, actually. But uh, Howard Springs, uh, Brian, we went into the Australian Northern Territories government website here, and we're looking for that quarantine facility. And it's got an interesting name, which I think you will appreciate, uh, Brian. It's called the, the Center for National Resilience yeah. uh, in Howard Springs. So it's, it's not quarantine camp. It's not detention camp. It's the Center for National Resilience. It's making us stronger. It's bonding. It's bringing us together. If we go through this baptism by fire, I'll call it baptism by fire, we become more resilient. This is all part of the new new language that we watched come in over the last 20 years. Resilience is a word that has appeared more and more in policy uh, documents from the UK government. But if you follow it through, of course, you will also see it in the EU and the UN. So code word for uh, what? It's, it's definitely UN Sustainable Development yeah. Goals, uh, globalist language, 100% here. And then uh, this uh, mem was circulating on Facebook, Center for National Resilience in the Northern Territories. It's, uh, yes, that's, that's satire, but it's not so far uh, from the truth, Brian. But what is this really about? And, you know, we, we saw the situation in Austria uh, just last week where this, this lockdown of the unvaccinated and Austria was lagging on vaccination rates. Yeah. So clearly there's, there's orders from the top that you need to sort of, you know, get your game together and we need to get those vaccination rates up. Northern Territory was lagging behind the rest of Australia. And so now look at this, the Northern Territory now leads the nation uh, for the highest per capita vaccination rate, shooting to the top from a ranking of second to the last just So it's now become like a sort of football game. Like a football game. Um, a league to see who's at the top, shooting for the top. Sure, yeah, exactly yeah. like sports. Yeah. yeah, so to be at the top of the league tables for vaccinations in Australia, what a proud position for the Nor Northern Territories. And no doubt Michael Gunner will be crowing about his great achievement. Yeah. Uh, as if this is the greatest achievement of uh, 
that of humanity these days, I guess it is vaccines. But as, as Alex was commenting rightly about the Aboriginal people uh, in the Northern Territories, some of them are uh, speaking out, they're having to take to social media to do this. And we yeah. have a clip uh, from one of those tribe tribal uh, committees here. Let's uh, roll this and listen closely to what they have to say. It's very alarming, Brian. We are a part of the original Sovereign Tribal Federation. We are part of the community. We are part of the people. And we're standing here united to make, a, make an international call for uh, assistance. We need international attention focused on what's happening here in our communities. We have the Northern Territory Government force vaccinating our people, pressuring them, using military. They are not informing the people. They are lining them up. They are pressuring them. They are telling them they can't eat in the shops. They can't leave the community. They can't go shopping elsewhere. Those, those who are being forced, those who are fleeing to get food or fleeing from this forced vaccination are actually being fined $5,000 for leaving the community. So this is martial law. This is a war crime. This is a crime against humanity. And everything that has been implemented against humanity has been trialled and practised on the tribal people of this continent. We are the guinea pigs. We are the dry run for everything. What they are doing in our community right now, do not think because you live in major cities that you are void of it. This is a dry run for the rest of the country and the rest of the world. They are trialling it on us. They tried the basic card, okay? Your universal income, non-cash non card. Everything gets tried on us. The, the, the New World Order agenda, everything has been trialled and practised on the sovereign tribal people of this continent. What they are doing now is they are forcing this genocidal weapon onto us through coercion, through force, through pressure, through the relief of getting a feed or food or, or getting um, money. They are pressuring us in every way. Our people are scared. Our people are frightened. Our people are, are terrorised out there. Okay, this is torture. Do not be mistaken, this is torture. And we are calling out for the international community to bring this to the attention of the world. Uh, Candace Owen, she called it out. She called on the US, why isn't the US military intervening here when they went into Iraq and Afghanistan over lies? Well, we're not lying to you. We're the people on the ground. We are the people watching our people die from this bioweapon. This is truth, this is reality. Do not ignore this cry. Do not ignore this call out. Please, we're asking the international community to please raise the awareness around the world and bring support. We need to pressure this government and the Northern Territory government and Michael Gunner, who is pushing this mandate with the police, with the military. This is genocide against the oldest living culture on the planet. This is wiping out the oldest living culture on the planet who you're a part of. Our culture is your culture. Our law is your law. We hold all seven DNAs. When we are gone, the reminder of who we all are to humanity in this planet is gone. So we need you to stand up, show some courage, show some honour, come forward and help us stop this genocide against our people because our people are suffering, our children are suffering. And like my sister said, when the elders are gone, when the parents are gone, what are the children going to have? Nothing. They're going to be removed off the land. This is, a, this is a land grab. This has got nothing to do with health. Well, Pat, immense, immensely powerful video clip, and thank you very much to the viewer that brought it to our attention. Um, I'm fascinated by what he says because, of course, he's pointing out the real truth. They're going for older people because older people can remember what society was like, what it should be like. So you want to get rid of the wisdom of older people. 
and then you're going to focus on the weak and the vulnerable. So you may go for indigenous people or minority groups or the elderly or the sick. And we can see this pattern occurring in UK. So this man's speaking in Australia, but we can see the same focus on the elderly and the vulnerable in UK. That can't be a coincidence. No, it can't. And it's the same theme uh, the world over. They are saying they're members of, uh, this is the group here up on screen, uh, the original sovereign tribal uh, federation. So this is who they're sort of affiliated with. Uh, so you know, I don't know what his position is. His name's David. Uh, his English name is David. He goes by. I don't know what his position is or if he has uh, whatever his you know official role in the tribe is or not. But uh, that's up on brand new tube. You can watch it in its entirety up on uh, brand new tube. I think that's one of the uh, one of the only channels you can. And we're going to do some more work on the background to that. If anybody's watching this from Australia, and you can give us more detail on the background and the other people with the gentleman speaking, we'd like to know. But but on Alex's point, I want to go back to Alex on this. Uh, David said this is a land grab. He said this is a land grab. If you think about the AUKUS deal that was just signed. And this, like you said, Alex, the general sort of uh, uh, encirclement of China on that sort of more uh, southeastern rim there uh, with the Northern Territories, Darwin and the other ba bases, et cetera. Pine Gap, of course, is well established. Uh, but if you think about it that way, Australia, Northern, the Northern Territories take on a very different geopolitical significance uh, now uh, in, in terms of the new posturing towards China. Uh, Alex, your comment on that. They do, because uh, in terms of overhead assets, as they're known in intelligence, the satellite ground cover, okay, there's a new generation of low Earth orbiting LEO satellites, which will render some of that redundant. Uh, but as things classically stand, it's not just that the Northern Territories are uh, located at a favorable latitude, not far south of the equator. It's the longitude which matters, because uh, with Australia as part of the footprint uh, at Pine Gap, as you mentioned, you've got world coverage, or at least in the first generation of overhead uh, espionage, that's how it worked. And it's true in the age of, of internet cabling as well, and indeed of China containment, as of course we know, going back to the LBJ White House, the, uh, the strategy documents were all saying Australia is unmissable, particularly its northern rim, its Indian Ocean and uh, Indonesia facing rim, because it's, it's part of the um, ultimate chain, shall we say, the string of pearls that keeps the Chinese Navy in play. Now, I think both sides, both persuasions of UK column viewers as regards uh, whether this is China encroachment or China containment, will both find that, uh, that they can understand what's going on here. Because if you look at the strategic thinking coming out, particularly of the, the Beltway now, there have been rumblings since AUKUS uh, was signed that it was really about securing um, land and particularly the supply chains of raw materials. Uh, we covered very recently in Extra Time that there's uh, thinking out loud in the Washington uh, secure crap world about uh, the US needing to militarize the moon because otherwise the Chinese will do it first. You know, so it's the same is done with Australia here. I will leave it genuinely agnostic and open whether or not these are sinister Chinese Communist Party forces ultimately behind the land grabbers. There seems to be quite some evidence for uh, in terms of Australian bauxite mining and the like, or whether it's uh, American, Australian, uh, British companies themselves selling out their own people. The end result is the same, uh, that th this uh, the, the land in Australia, particularly in the, the indigenous communities in the north and west, the land they sit on is so mineral rich. And has, has, has such an extreme ratio of weak um, 
local people to extremely valuable resources that it will, within the Five Eyes, be the first to go. We have to remember the late great Ian Crane, who went to the more populated northeast of Australia, Queensland, and found there too that what, what would be regarded by the, the, the elite as the white trash uh, had done to them what's also been done in the central US states, which is fracking needed to happen, it would happen. And it, again, Britain and the more populated parts of Australia thought this would never come to us because we have more political power and a denser population and are nearer to political centres. But absolutely, just as those tribal elders are saying, what starts there uh, with the Aborigines does come to uh, the main populations. It's already within the Five Eyes domestic territory now. And I remember, I'll never forget in the 1990s, that one of the Aboriginal elders said, we are very reluctant these days. Um, he said this to a BBC documentary in the good old days when they made good documentaries. Uh, we will never again participate in genetic or other medical experiments because our people are experimented out. This was true as far back as the 90s. They, they, they had a, a century before it, actually before that. Right. Thank you very much, Alex. We all have uh, common issues these days, it seems. Yeah. Uh, all people of the world, yes. Well, we've got a dire warning here. Is, is uh, someone still to come? Uh, no, no, that's yeah. uh, on uh, to the next. Uh, okay, well, if the Australians are clearly very unhappy as to what started to happen, them, happen to them, we need to refocus on what is happening around vaccines. And we thought uh, we should go straight away to this uh, video clip of Dr. Vernon Coleman. Many people picked up on this and uh, we think this is uh, a very good synopsis of where we now are. So let's have a listen to what he has to say. It's the 22nd of November 2021 and this is the moment when the jabbing has to stop. A couple of hours ago, Darren Smith, the editor of the excellent Light Paper, sent me a paper from the medical journal Circulation, which proves that the COVID-19 jabbing experiment has to stop today. I believe that any doctor or nurse who gives one of the mRNA COVID jabs after today will in due course be struck off the appropriate register and arrested. The journal Circulation is a well-respected publication. It's 71 years old, its articles are peer-reviewed and in one survey it was rated the world's number one journal in the cardiac and cardiovascular system category. I'm going to quote the final sentence of the abstract which appears at the beginning of the article. This is all I, you or anyone else needs to know. Open quotes. We conclude that the mRNA vaccine dramatically increases inflammation on the endothelium and T-cell infiltration of cardiac muscle and may account for the observations of increased thrombosis, cardiomyopathy and other vascular events following vaccination. Close quotes. That's it. That's the death bell for the COVID-19 mRNA jabs. The endothelium is a layer of cells lining blood vessels and lymphatic vessels. T-cells are a type of white cell. We always knew these jabs were experimental. My video in December 2020, just under a year ago, warned about these specific risks. I read out a list of possible adverse events published officially by the American government. But now we have proof of the link. The mRNA jab is, remember, known not to stop people catching COVID-19, and it is known not to stop people spreading it. I don't believe anyone disputes these facts now. And yet, vast numbers of deaths and serious injuries have occurred among people who have been jabbed. Look at the item headed, update, how many are the vaccines killing? The list on my websites. It's a horrific list. 
Now we have the evidence we need to stop the jabbing programmes. In the survey quoted, a total of 566 patients aged 28 to 97 were tested. These were not children, these were adults. The tests were, the number were equally divided among men and women. Open quotes, at the time of this report, close quotes, says the author, open quotes, these changes persist for at least 2.5 months post second dose of vaccine, close quotes. At the very least, the use of these jabs must stop now, immediately, until more long-term tests are done. If there were any journalists left in the mainstream media, this news would be lead item on all TV and radio programmes and be on the front pages of all newspapers. Thank heavens for free speech platforms such as BNT which enable me to bring you this news. I've said all along for a year that this jab was an experiment certain to kill and injure. We've always known that to experiment on people without their full consent and understanding after disclosing all the risks and potential side effects is a crime. Now the evidence exists that must stop this experiment. If the Covid jab experiment continues after today, then we know for absolute sure that this is not a medical treatment, it's a cull. Please share this video immediately with everyone you know. Thank you. So what a contrast. On one hand, we, we've got whole sections of Australian community locked down as a result of the Covid-19 vaccine policy. And then we've got measured, qualified, medically qualified people like Dr. Vernon Coleman sitting there and giving a very, very uh, succinct synopsis of uh, what it's all about and saying simply this has got to stop. That's right. And, and the paper that he's referring to here, uh, you go to American Heart Association. This is a well-established peer-reviewed journal, by the way, of, of uh, cardio. Uh, circulation is the name of the journal here. And this is by Dr. Stephen Gundry. He's an American uh, cardiologist and a, a pioneer, as it were, in nutrition. Uh, and this, he's talking about these markers uh, that are coming as a result of the mRNA uh, vaccine and disturbing, especially when we're talking about the proliferation of myocarditis and these heart conditions that are coming with so many of these people who have been taking the uh, the vaccine, especially younger people, Brian. And what's more disturbing about that is that the younger people are not actually at risk of getting ill of COVID-19, no. but yet they're being put at risk uh, by introducing this experimental gene therapy uh, injection here. And Trial Site News has done some commentary on this. And this is, it boils down to this, Brian, by using a state-of-the-art diagnostic called P-U-L-S, cardiac test, the author sought to clinically verify the measurement of multiple protein biomarkers, producing a probability score for the new acute coronary syndrome. And they go on to just conclude here, uh, what are the concerns of Dr. Gundry and why isn't this kind of information more prevalent? They're talking about media coverage here, yeah. Brian. Well, of course, the media does not want to cover anything that doesn't follow the government line. So we are seeing a complete shutdown on accurate free speech about what the truth is about the vaccine. 
And at the same time, there's gaslighting going on if people in the media and public health people are constantly saying, oh, but these are rare occurrences of myocarditis. Oh, they're so rare, and, and the, the benefits of the vaccine far outweigh the, risks. the few thousand or 10,000 or 100,000 people who are contracting this heart condition for really no reason if you think about the weighing up the risk uh, yeah. on both sides of COVID and vaccine. So they're, they're constantly downplaying that there's anything wrong. And we talked about fares, we talked about yellow card, we talked about you And we can, we can have a look a bit more about how this safety system doesn't work. That's the key thing. There isn't a safety system in operation at the moment, whether it's in the UK or the US. Yes. Okay. But uh, in terms of regulation, let's just remind everybody here about vaccination status. This is Scott Gottlieb. He's the former FDA Commissioner Brian, who landed a nice cushy board position at Pfizer. As you do. As, as one does, sure. And, and he's admitting, as is Dr. Fauci, on multiple interviews, fully vaccinated definition will change to include the booster. So that's where it's heading. And this is what we saw in France. This is what they're saying in other countries. So having your double jab isn't going to guarantee you that ironclad vaccination status that you were told it would. Neither is the first booster because you're going to need a second booster. So when, yeah. How, where does it end? It, where does it, how many boosters? It's, so. it's not going to end because the idea is for people to be permanently jabbed, I think, at regular intervals. intervals. Now, we, we can already tell that uh, the UK column news today is having an effect on people because as people, as people realise the reality of what's happening, they're starting to get slightly uncomfortable. Uh, if we understate it, they're beginning to get a bit agitated. And what we need to do is focus on the reality of the people. Who are the people who are driving the policy? Who is in control? And of course, one of the things that we've uh, started to point out is that in UK, at least the MHRA is not in control of vaccine safety. So let's bring it on to the individuals that we need to focus on. And the first person is Professor Munir Pira Mohammed, he's the chair of the Commission on Human Medicines. He's got ultimate responsibility for vaccine safety. And of course, vaccine safety doesn't exist at the moment. So it rests on his shoulder. It's no good uh, pointing a finger at organizations. That's just the coverall. We've got to actually look at who the individuals are. And these are the people that need to be held to account in an appropriate way. So underneath him is this gentleman. Now, nobody talks about this man very much. By, um, by a strange coincidence, he's another Coleman. We've got Professor Jamie Coleman this time, and I know which out of the two I prefer. Um, but he is the, uh, uh, he's the chair of the Pharmacovigilance Expert Group. So he's, he's working for Professor Pira Mohammed. Um, but he's chair of the specific pharmacovigilance, the safety expert group. So this man needs to be brought into the spotlight. And down at the bottom of the pile, really, we've got June Rain. She's just brought in as the talking head, but actually she's got no power in this organization at all. So we're showing you who you should be looking at. It's no good thrashing around and naming the organizations, we've got to deal with the actual people who need to be held responsible. Uh, we'll just give you a reminder of what uh, Professor Munir uh, Pir Mohammed had to say. He said that uh, back in December 2020, the data, we don't know what data it was because that was never revealed, 
shows that the vaccine is 95% effective. It's effective in all the groups that were given the vaccine within the trial, irrespective of age, sex, race, or country they lived in. I mean, this is now turning out to be a completely false claim, if you want to use measured language. It's ridiculous. It's uh, outrageous that this man should have made such a, cl a claim. Let's bring in number two. And here's some quotes from Professor Jamie Coleman. Uh, he's, he's bigging up an inaugural lecture he did. This is part of his work at Birmingham University. Uh, he says, I call my inaugural lecture rewriting the script. Prescriptions and the giving of medicines is one of the most common interventions in the health service. Getting it wrong not only sometimes means patients not, <coughs> excuse me, not getting better, but can cause harm through side effects or adverse effects. Well, that's a rooster that's come home, isn't it, in, in regard to the uh, vaccines and their vaccine adverse effects. Um, so let's just highlight that for the uh, main effect, because this man knows what should be happening, but he's sitting there casually talking about his good works rather than doing the job of protecting the safety of the public. And then, of course, we had June Rain. We showed the clip a couple of days ago where she admitted that they didn't have any numbers on what they described as malicious, false yellow card vaccine adverse reactions. But if you cannot say how many of your yellow card vaccine adverse reactions are false, you can't say how many are true. So this lady admitting on camera at an MHRA board meeting, they still have, because I can tell you to date, they still have no accurate data on the adverse effects. It's simply ignored. And, and that's, that's a bit of gaslighting again there, which is saying that, oh, the yellow card system is contaminated with anti-vaxxers putting malicious false reports in. Those, those nasty people. It's a total fabrication. and. Uh, so, but it's designed to distract you from yeah. really uh, interrogating data. But more than that, Brian, it's designed to distract people away from what you just said, which is that these people should be doing their job, which is to be the regulator, yeah. to be the buffer between the people and the corporations or between government and the people. Uh, so, and they sh they're not doing that. They're not doing the job. It's taking the UK column to do the job, certainly for the MHRA. So we're going to ask for our viewers to push out that yellow card database information that you can find if you look for the yellow window on the front of the UK column. And of course, these horrific statistics, well over a million adverse effects, uh, over 1,700 deaths. And the fact is that to date, there's still no published analysis of the yellow card vaccine adverse effect data. And we have to say that if the true accurate evidence is produced that these vaccines are safe, then clearly we're going to have to talk about that. But at the moment, there is nothing being published to show that it's safe. Alex, I can tell by your face that uh, this is something that, that uh, you feel strongly about. These people are not to be trusted in any way. The problem we have in late Western society is, uh, trust me, I'm a doctor, or trust me, I have letters after my name, or trust me, the Prime Minister has got the Queen or somebody to appoint me. Right? It doesn't start anymore with, I have integrity of character. I have proven to have a track record of telling the truth and being committed to telling the truth, even when it doesn't benefit me and sometimes disadvantages me financially and socially. 
if we can find people who've put their neck out in the past in those ways, in decent human terms, uh, to uh, establish their veracity and their commitment to truth, then we can start trusting what they assert boldly in the absence of data. Otherwise, they're going to have to come up with the data in full and publicly before we can trust them. Indeed. Indeed. And I'll, I'll add to that. If, if Vernon Coleman announced tomorrow that he's reopening his GP surgery, it would probably be the biggest GP surgery in the country. Well, because it would be the only properly functioning one, Pat, wouldn't it? There would be run, people would be running to his door, I'm sure. Yeah. So we, we've seen how the vaccine industry and the so-called pharma uh, co-vigilance industry is doing its dirty work. Uh, but of course, if you're producing vaccines, you're now a celebrity. You are a creator. Uh, let's have a look at this clip about uh, the creator, Dr. Catherine Green. Should come up. To you. Now, a year ago today, we were given the life-changing news that the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine had been approved. Since then, two billion, two billion doses have been given out worldwide, saving so many lives, countless lives. Joining me now, one of the women behind that incredible achievement, Dr. Catherine Green. A year ago, how far we've come. Yeah, it's extraordinary. To Isn't see. it? But yeah, we just had the results of the efficacy a year ago. Wow. And yeah, last week AstraZeneca announced two billion doses shipped. Two billion? That's a, such amount of work in a short time. All over the world? Yeah. All over the world. I mean, we don't know how many lives have been saved. I yeah. guess we can't put a figure on it. But yeah. how remarkable. It is. So we have good data from Public Health England um, that estimates that at least 130,000 lives in the UK alone from the vaccination programme yeah. for Oxford, AstraZeneca and Pfizer Moderna. Sure, sure. Uh, and of course, that's down to the effort of the rollout teams, the NHS and the people that get those jabs into the arms. But yeah, it's incredible to be sat here on this sofa. It's amazing. Day. Absolutely amazing. And in poorer parts of the world as well. So I know that you're really evangelical about that. <laughs> you know, you want this to get out there. You want to get globally out there and to places where people have virtually nothing. And it means so much to you when you get photographs from those parts of the world and you yeah. see people getting vaccinated. Yeah, that's right. So we always, as a university with a public health um, mission, always wanted to make sure this would be a vaccine for the world, not just for countries that can afford to pay. And so, yeah, via AstraZeneca... They have been delivering across the world, yeah. So this is a good photo, yeah. That's a brilliant picture. Yeah. So That's... this is in Malawi. Wow. So obviously it's not good enough just to have a vaccine that works. You need to get it to the people that need it. And obviously in very resource poor places, people can't take time off work to go to a clinic and the clinic might be miles away. Mm. So because you can just put this in a freezer bag and take it out to the people who are working, we're able to get oxyacetonica doses really across the across the world that fantastic young women doing yeah, that, that yeah, fantastic women. Women. everybody trained everybody getting it it's just brilliant what a year you've had yeah it's been what a year it's been have you enjoyed it i hope you have i yeah, hope you have. I have been yeah you know it, it was it was a very tough year obviously because nothing's resolved yet is it no but there have been yeah, it's as a bunch of scientists who you know, science doesn't normally get recognised, perhaps in the way that it has been this year. And yeah. we've been uh, um, spokespeople for science sometimes. <laughs> and we have had a bit of fun with that. The whole team have been recognised for the efforts that we put in. And we hope that we then try and recognise, you know, really give a shout out to all of the teams that are involved in getting to these milestones. No, of course. I know both of you are yeah. always saying that. It's not just you. You know, you're the faces of it, but actually there's a, you know, there's a team behind there beavering away. But it has really helped. I mean, you know, it has been notable that particularly women, young women, are wanting to get into science. Yeah. You've done that 
That's, that's astonishing though and, and brilliant because wh where would we be without people like that's you? That's right, we, we want lots of people, we want people from all walks of life, we want people as we've said before with all accents, with all backgrounds, with all family histories and with all kinds of brains and intelligences to come into science because yeah. as a team as a team job it's a, it's a great job to have and, and part of what I like to say is to remind people that we do science to make a difference in the world but also it's great it's great fun to do working with clever people and following creative ideas is, is a fantastic way to spend your time of course it's yeah. challenging yeah, yeah. But it's hard, exciting. But exciting absolutely and i know that you've gone through all this process it, it, it just uh, you know astonished me that while you're doing all of this you know you're you're, you're helping to raise a daughter you know that doesn't go away you're having to think about you know making the tea and, and doing the washing and a lot of people found that that uh, video was long enough because they got to the point they didn't want to listen to much more. But actually, I'd recommend people do go to the full video to listen through because it degenerates into the Great British Bake Off. We go through billions of vaccines. We don't know what the adverse effects are. We're not caring about that. We're going to move through. We're going to do scientists are the greatest thing. More women in science. Get that little bit of feminism in there great colleagues. This lady says at one point that creating the vaccine was just more or less equivalent to you know, baking, really. That's the inference I got. Absolutely astonishing. While there is no accurate uh, data on these vast vaccine side effects. Yeah. Patrick, as always, I've now got to the speechless part. <laughs> and I felt the interview, of course, could have done with a little less builder's bum, as it's known. It, she said it was like baking a cake, right? The only, the only difference is when you're baking a cake, you're not injecting a genetically modified spike protein into your bloodstream that's raising all of these uh, cardio markers, unfortunately. I know sugar's bad, Brian, but uh, it's not that bad. They're, they're calling it the science. This is a great a achievement of science. This is corporate pharmacology. Let's just be clear about that. Yeah. This is not uh, experimenting on animals. Uh, yes, that you could say that's scientific. Um, rolling out a vaccine to two billion doses—that's uh, an experimental pharmaceutical gene therapy. That is not science. That no. that is human experimentation, and this has right. uh, been. This has been made illegal many times in the 20th century. Right, let's just stop you there. Experimentation. So let's go to another doctor. Uh, she's based in Croatia. We should be able to bring this up in just a second. And she's uh, speaking out about uh, uh, what's concerning her. So let's have a listen to this lady. <laughs> Međutim, ovoga, jako je važno da, da shvatimo da niko nikog sad ne tjera, ali kaže treba ispitati cijepio. A na čijoj djeci ćemo ispitati? Dakle, puno puta smo, brojna cijepiva su rađena u zapadnim zemljama, ispitivana u siromašnim područjima Azije, Afrike. Na sirotičskoj djeci. Na nečijoj djeci se to mora ispitati da bi moje dijete bilo sigurno kad primi. Na čije ćemo? Dakle, ovo je prvi put ovaj COVID svašta izvlači, ali neke, neke stvari stavlja ured. Dakle, sad se ispituje i na evropskoj, i na američkoj, i na drugoj djeci, a ne samo na afričkoj i azijskoj. So this is a very astute lady, Patrick. She's picking up on the fact that we're testing vaccines on children. What 
what has the what has the industry done traditionally? It's gone out to get those vulnerable, poor African children where it can trial its vaccines and if somebody gets hurt, nobody can really react or do anything about it. And now she says, but this is amazing because now we can see that it's Western children that are being used for an experimental vaccine. It is an experimental, it is an experimental vaccine being used for experimental purposes. And I might add Robert F. Kennedy's new book, which is one of the number one bestsellers right now, The Real, uh, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, he talks yeah. about when they uh, used, and uh, um, with the funding of the U.S. federal government, I believe even under Fauci's same agency, uh, using foster children, wards yeah. of the state, uh, in these experiments, many of them died. It's a really shameful uh, period of, of U.S. history, and it's yeah. not that long ago. It's that not was that happening. long ago. Yeah. So, Alex, you know a little bit about the background of this uh, lady. Um, can you can you just give us a quick a uh, couple of seconds on her background. Doc, Dr. Alemka Markotic is very close to the top of the tree in Croatia for infectious diseases. She is a late career infectious diseases academic at by far the country's best respected pair of universities, those of Zagreb and Rijeka. She's a full professor at, I understand both. Uh, willing to be corrected. Um, she is also the head of the infectious diseases clinic uh, named after Dr. Fran Mihailovic. So uh, she has been described by one informed viewer to us as the Croatian Chris Whitty, but I don't think the viewer meant to suggest that the same cynicism was in her words. What's important to note is that this chat show was not a regular secular mainstream chat show. Croatia, as we've reported to our regular viewers, uh, uh, and we did so last month when uh, Gevorg Virac joined us from Odessa, is split now it's joined the EU. Uh, between adherents of globalism and the more traditional moral and Catholic past with which it's uh, associated. And she was actually speaking there, Dr. Alemka Markotic was one of three guests uh, on the Izdvojeno, or separately, um, chat show format, which is produced by Laudato TV, which, as people can probably hear, is a Catholic channel. And her two fellow, fellow guests were the theologian Robert Schreter and the dean of the Catholic uh, religious faculty in Djakovo, in eastern Croatia, Vladimir Dugal. And uh, they were making points about the obscure origins of COVID-19. So in Croatia, although it is very much uh, in terms of lifestyle and education, a Western and westernized country now and an EU member state, uh, these three guests, with Markotic being the, the medical lead, are pointing out that actually it's the West of Europe that is isolated and the US historically from even the sort of universal conscience of Christendom that the Croats still maintain, which is what is the morality? Things which would be unspeakable, just a couple of countries over the border, are still very much discussable, the morality of uh, testing on children. Uh, while we're on this, actually, just over the border in Slovenia, we have many Eastern European viewers sending stuff to us. This was too late for a slide, but directly relevant. Yesterday, a big scandal erupted in Slovenia, also a former Yugoslav EU member state, because the head nurse of the country's leading university medical center in Ljubljana, who is in charge of receiving vials and managing the whole work, quit her job and took to the TV cameras, showing them vials of vaccine labeled with the numbers one, two or three. 
And she explained that number one code vaccine uh, vials are actually saline placebo. Number two is the classic RNA dose. I don't know which uh, of the makes this would be. And number three is allegedly an RNA core, which contains an oncology gene associated with an adenovirus that promotes, promotes cancer. So the suggestion was that vials labeled three were actually carcinogenic and would uh, people would get soft tissue cancer within two years from it. This is the head nurse of the country's leading medical center. The head nurse said before resigning that she personally witnessed the injection of all politicians and tycoons. Of course, they would in a country like Slovenia all come to the main centre for that. And she said they all received the number one type vial, the saline placebo. OK, Alex, uh, thank you for that. Well, in a, just a very quick segment, let's have a look at the reality of what's happening in UK now. This is uh, a mirror headline here. Uh, with a really tragic story. The headline was, I don't want to die, my tubes keep me safe. And uh, this uh, particular story is about a, a, a boy, 16 years old, William. Um, he's had issues. He's uh, been diagnosed with a rare kidney disease two years ago. And what's now happened is that it, under the new COVID rules and so-called NHS care, they're simply saying, no, we're not gonna treat you anymore you are going to be put on end-of-life care. Uh, this is really outrageous stuff coming into UK now. If you read the article, you see some quotes from William's mum. She says this, they're sending him home to die. I'll never let it happen. If William was in pain or bed-bound, then of course I wouldn't want him to suffer. But he has an incredible quality of life. He plays golf twice a week. I take him shopping. He plays with the local kids. Uh, we're in limbo wondering if this will be William's last Christmas or whether he will even make it uh, if he has to go on to palliative care. So this is a decision about a very vulnerable person, not the decision uh, to, keep, to keep giving life to this uh, young man. But this is uh, the NHS simply saying, no, you're going to go on to end of life. And uh, we've been warning about this over the last few UK column news um, Productions. Uh, this is a document from uh, Cornwall NHS Trust, essentially, uh, where their systems for end of life care have been extremely bad. Uh, this document itself under review. Uh, but what we highlighted was Medazolam being featured here. And uh, let's move on to this. The NHS claim they say we're here for you, helping you take control of your health and well being. Well, that sounds very good. But what is the reality? Well, the reality is very different. And I'm able to say that yesterday I was able to speak with some people who described a horrific chain of events around a relative who was simply put on end of life care by the NHS and subsequently died. Uh, so this is uh, how the uh, plot uh, pans out. Uh, the individual was unvaccinated. They were told you are unvaccinated you have no chance of survival. So simply that you hadn't been vaccinated meant the NHS was saying to you, you have no chance of survival. You will be put on end of life care. You and your relatives will not be consulted. There will be no joint meeting about this decision. And uh, finally, you will be drugged into oblivion. And uh, that was the tragic result of this particular events that the individual died. Uh, I can't speak about more at the moment because of things going on around the case, uh, but utterly, utterly disgraceful. 
And uh, thank you very much to the viewer who pointed out that uh, we've now got new contracts going out because the NHS is worried it hasn't got enough medazolam. And so they've got to get more. So this is the invitation to offer for the supply of ITU medicines and quote, end of life care medicines uh, for COVID-19 preparedness. It says the authority seeks to top up the stockpile holdings of midazolam and also noradrenaline in preparations for quote, further waves of COVID-19 in winter 2021. And uh, there's no question that now midazolam is the drug of choice for the NHS. And uh, I'm going to say that we are particularly interested to hear from patients and relatives who've experienced or aware of the NHS prescribing and administering, particularly a combination of midazolam and morphine, uh, because those two use together deadly consequences, particularly for people with breathing problems. Pat, it's in our faces what's going on at the moment. It's, it's, it just seems incredible. It's astonishing, Mike, that uh, Brian, pardon me. Sorry. It's a reaction. Uh, it's astonishing that they would, uh, uh, midazolam being the treatment for COVID-19, it's almost as if that's what it sounds like uh, in their literature. And, and meanwhile, they're saying, oh, there's no treatment. They've been saying for two years, there's no early treatment for COVID-19. They'll tell you, don't even take aspirin. Don't even take ibuprofen. There's nothing. Just just go home and wait and come back and, and a ventilator and midazolam. I mean, it's kind of obvious what the, what the agenda here is. Well, certainly the uh, agenda was obvious to this particular family, and we know of many other incidences of this going on across the country. So we've put out that call. If this has happened to a relative of yours or if you have information from within inside the NHS, please let us know. Well, if you like what the UK column is doing, then please support us, spread the word. Uh, we can only do what we're doing with your financial help and support. And we're grateful for all the support that we get. Uh, we are still pushing out the information as far and wide as we can. But of course, if you copy any of the work, please share it and distribute it widely. We're gonna encourage you to get those hoodies uh, possibly a Christmas present, maybe. What do you think, Pat, that uh, yes. a hoodie might be suitable? Get them quick. Get them quick. And, uh, well, just astonished that the um, um, Andrew, uh, sorry, David Noakes um, fundraiser is now over 30,000. So it's heading up towards that 50,000 total. Andrew Noakes and uh, the other family members, uh, well, they're speechless, really. It's what's, what's happened. And we just like to say, if you can help by sharing that as well, that would be particularly good. And uh, well, I've, I've just highlighted that it doesn't matter whether you're making a small donation or a big donation, they're all equally appreciated. Now, Alex, you had an interesting uh, email. I'll bring it up on the screen here and just read through it. It said, your talk about doing things the old school way a few weeks back reminded me that I could be do doing that a lot more myself. I do use pen and paper and phone calls a lot, but I haven't been regularly engaging with dissidents in person. I guess partly because this is a quiet, sleepy town, mostly consisting of retired people, but there is still a functioning town hall nearby, and even the local unruly youths will sometimes apologize for cramping your personal space. Funny how just being silent, focused, and stoic 
intimidates people so much. Well, I, I'd like to just respond immediately and say, well, I'm retired, uh, but I decided there was a much better way of using your retirement, and that was to stand up and be counted. What have you uh, got out of this particular email, Alex? I thought that it was representative of a few of the more self-effacing viewers who are in regular communication with me, and no doubt with all the other presenters, uh, the kind of salt-of-the-earth types who think, well, they, they, they're not uh, first-rate analysts, uh, in their own mind at least, and what they reveal in their choice of words is so encouraging for ordinary viewers in many walks of life in different countries. Take those three adjectives at the end, silent, focused, and stoic. That is how our viewer is able to put it out uh, in his immediate circle and anyone who meets him uh, uh, on the streets, that he's a serious person. And that does strike apprehension into evildoers. Uh, what are the opposite of these three adjectives? It would be to be noisy, distracted, and hedonistic. And that, of course, is, for the last half century, the way we are supposed to be in Western and now globalised culture. So if you can take the voice out of your head that says, I'm insecure and I want more things and I deserve pleasure, and replace it with a calm focus, that will do the talking for you. You don't need to have the gift of the gab. Just being that way in the public space, whether you're at a meeting, uh, holding people to account who need to be held to account, or simply trying to get on with your life without being got at by Covidistas, that's the way to start. Okay, excellent. Well, we're certainly going to encourage everybody to do something because we need a lot of, of hands on the tiller on this one. And it doesn't matter if you can only send an email a day, do it because when everybody starts to react, we're going to see some change in these policies coming through. Now, Alex, you're going to take us on to Switzerland, where I think some interesting. I'm oh, sorry, that was yours, Patrick. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. And Alex will no doubt have uh, something to contribute on this story because this is pretty important, I think. Uh, now, Switzerland, you know, mind you, took a, a, a slightly less intense approach in terms of the restrictions on the pandemic. Let's just bring this uh, up on screen right now. And there's a vote coming up on November 28th. It's very important. This is their new sort of rolling COVID. Uh, emergency legislation. Will Switzerland remain the last bastion of democracy uh, in Europe? And so this is Robert F. Kennedy here at the Catherine Austin Fitz. So they are lobbying. They, they're very aware of this. And uh, uh, Robert F. Kennedy, they're at this rally uh, in Switzerland, I believe. And they were lobbying uh, the people to basically vote, uh, believe no on this, this bill that's coming up here. And let's look at what's being said here in this story on children's health defense.org, despite the fact that the COVID measures taken during the pandemic been rather light compared to other European countries, which may have reassured many citizens. But however, this new COVID law is a hidden attempt by the federal government and the international organizations to establish a regime of exception. It would allow them to impose their diktats until the year 2031. Very important to note that, a date that coincides with the 2030 Sustainable Development Agenda planned by the World Economic Forum and the United Nations as well. And so, and just following on from this, the text implies that the approval of the COVID certificate or health pass, vaccine passport, what have you, uh, and the imposition of an exceptional regime that violates the constitutional rights of citizens and the competencies of the feder federated entities bypassing the democratic process, but 
without stating it clearly, kind of leaving things a little bit vague. And here is perhaps the most important statement that you should take away from this story. Not only would Switzerland not escape the control of the agenda deployed uh, in the Great Reset, it would perhaps become its capital and one of its first victims. Everybody thought, Brian, that Switzerland would be safe, but that might not actually be the case. Well, the bit I always feel that people need to remind themselves is that the heart of the banking industry is clearly in Switzerland, Bank of International Settlement. Everything that's happening with vaccines, of course, is driven by the cash and the people who control the cash. So we can talk about uh, Pfizer and AstraZeneca, but who controls those companies? The bankers control those companies. So, And, and many pharmaceutical giants also based in Switzerland. Indeed, yeah. So well. it's, it's a cesspit. So Catherine Austin yeah. Fitz, who many people will be uh, aware of, she's uh, Dr. Suchar Bhakti, and they, they've been putting out these videos to encourage people to get active on this issue, to vote no if you're in Switzerland. Here's Catherine Austin Fitz talking about the financial side and what are the real, what's the real end game on, on this? Let's, let's, let's. Family wealth and property rights are essential pillars of democracy and freedom. What do we have without family wealth and property rights? Take them away and we have slavery. I pray the Swiss people vote no to COVID laws this November 28th. If you do not, the COVID certificates will be used to strip your assets from you. Are you a Swiss citizen who's been vaccinated? The COVID certificates are part of a financial transaction control grid that will strip you of your property. Are you a Swiss citizen who is unvaccinated? It's the same. Vaccinated and unvaccinated are in this together. Assets can and will be stripped from all of the citizenry. Do you think that COVID certificates offer you inclusion in society? Certificates offer you inclusion into slavery as the billionaires grow richer and are free to travel and prosper. COVID certificates and laws are the end of human liberty in the West. If the Swiss vote no on November 28th, you will send a powerful inspiration to everyone everywhere that human liberty and freedom stand. Please vote no on November 28th. Well, powerful, powerful message, Pat. Alex, have you got any comments on that one? Yes, it, uh, I'm afraid, demonstrates yet again why even some of our best informed viewers are sadly wrong to think that certain countries are exempt from the worst stuff. Now, as you've correctly outlined, Switzerland has a mysterious history going back centuries, culminating in the world wars of the 20th century, when inexplicably they managed to resist in, or even not even be invaded while the rest of Europe was at total war. And that clearly has to do with the assets, financial and otherwise, that are preserved there. Switzerland claims to be a confederation. The badge still says CH, Confederatio Helvetica. So supposedly they're not even a federation, but the cantons are sovereign. In practice, however, there's been many revisions of the constitution to give the federal level powers it should never have. And this is the greatest and latest of those power grabs. 
the word that was cited in that children's health defense article was a direct translation of the German Ausnahmezustand into English exception, state of exception. Uh, more normally, this is known in English as a state of emergency, and people will recognize that the philosopher Giorgio Agamben, who's very popular these days, rightly points out that this is how the health state and health fascism are put on us, that things aren't normal, you know, because of your health, we need to remove your constitutional rights. Uh, the originator of this uh, analysis is not actually Agamben, but as I mentioned it the other day in a plugging a book, it's uh, Ernst Frenkel, uh, the Jewish lawyer who saw some of the worst of the Third Reich in action, who wrote the book The Dual State. And that's really what Switzerland is, is gearing up for. Everything will be just hunky-dory on paper. The regular courts will operate. Constitutional rights will uh, allegedly remain in place. But alongside it, you understand there is a state of exception, which allows your rights to be taken away just when we feel like it, not blanket, but only to the extent necessary. So wherever you have a two-tier government, a so-called vertical separation of powers between states and the federal level, don't kid yourself that you're either better or worse off than people living in unitary states where everything's declared in the capital. Because if your federal level is weaker than the local states, it will invent a new reason to grab more power. If it's stronger, then the power's already gravitated to that level. So it depends really on whether you have a group of people around you on the ground who are prepared to assert their rights and who have some kind of concentration on the ground. Even Switzerland's famous uh, rights to keep and bear arms isn't going to help in this situation if they are not prepared to assert their constitutional rights peacefully. Right. And we can say that Switzerland has got a unique opportunity to counter what's being suggested here because of the, the makeup of the country itself and the way it works politically. That's absolutely right. But at Canton level, I mentioned Vallis or Valais in recent coverage, where the uh, restaurant that said nine to COVID uh, regulations got uh, cinder blocks placed in front of it by the polizai. There's a long history of corruption at a local level. Uh, and ghastly crimes being covered up just as in any other part of the Western world. Uh, so let's not imagine that uh, Switzerland is paradise. Uh, and the, the other factor, of course, is many internationals have come in, Gastarbeiter, foreign expats to, uh, coming to run the advanced economy now, like the financial sector. Um, the Swiss as a culture are just as prepared as any other country to drop their, their foreign guests in the thick of it uh, when the chips are down. So don't imagine that you're safer off because of rights on paper there. Uh, I'm afraid blood is, blood is thicker than water in the end. But yes, the Swiss do have a history which is laudable of throwing off tyrants. They've done it before, uh, often with very little violence involved. Uh, so they do have unique privileges, most especially their right peacefully to keep arms fit for their own defence, which in Europe, really only the Finns share to some extent. And on paper, the Brits, of course, as well. But the police have decided to give that up for us. And I might add what Alex said about the, the federal system being advantageous or not advantageous. Look at Australia. There's a tremendous amount of power uh, in this federal states themselves. S system, yeah. and, and a weak uh, central government in Canberra, almost a laissez-faire type attitude uh, by Prime Minister Scott Morrison. So it's past the buck. It's much easier to do that. You contrast that with the United States. Uh, and then it, that also speaks to what Alex said about the people you have around you. Certainly, we can speak to Texas and Florida as being extreme outliers in terms of their policies and, you know, executive orders being signed every day uh, by yeah. Governor Ron DeSantis and uh, Governor Abbott basically banning any mask mandates, banning uh, vaccine mandates, opening schools and all yeah. of these things. So uh, that, that, that's where the balance between the federal and the state 
um, uh, systems. Um, you can see them playing, but in other countries, no, you see it's still an abuse of power. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, Alex, you're going to take us on through a bit more of Europe. So you, you've got some comments on Germany, on the EU and also um, the Netherlands. Indeed, let's start with rightschuster.de, one of the best of the German uh, free media outlets, consistently good. And it's reporting here, and we've immediately put in the English translation by Steve Kirsch's newsletter over the top. German speakers can go to the original article. Um, but the uh, original uh, report by Rightschuster has the headline that the German states with a higher uh, degree of jab uh, coverage, higher jab quota, as it's called the German jab rate, have the highest uh, excess mortality, that is, more people dying than in previous years. Uh, Steve Kirsch uh, has covered this extremely accurately and concisely in his blog, and it's also a newsletter entitled New Study from Germany Confirms that Higher VAX Coverage Leads to Higher Excess Mortality. This uh, much has already been covered by David Scott on Monday, but he wanted me to go into more of the detail. So what he's zooming, zooming in on, if you tap that again, is that at the state parliament level in the German state of Thuringia in former Eastern Germany, uh, this very re respectable lady, Dr. Uta Bergner, who is a member of the state parliament, has come to the fore giving a presentation. Now, this lady joined one of the five tolerated non-regime parties, the non-socialist uh, party, in her case, the Liberal Party, back in the 70s. And she's a respected physicist at the University of Jena who spent the last couple of decades after the fall, the event in Germany, running a successful uh, physics-based company producing vacuum products. Uh, she went into politics and she has now resigned the whip of the FDP, the German uh, mainstream liberal party, uh, growing out of the East German dissident liberal party. Uh, and she's joined uh, a, 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 a party which has, well, in fact, she's become the chairwoman or, or uh, uh, party leader of, uh, I think, chairwoman of a party which uh, is called Bürger für Thüringen, so Citizens for Thuringia, which is getting her a lot of opprobrium. She presented at the rostrum in the German, sorry, in the, in the state parliament in Thuringia, this information. And we're going to zoom in on it now. So Uta Bergner's information here uh, is entitled Je höher die Impfquote, desto höher die Übersterblichkeit. The higher the uh, vaccination rate or jab rate, the higher the excess mortality. It's not her own paper. It's produced by Professor Dr. Rolf Steyer and Dr. Gregor Kappler. Uh, the first of these is actually from her alma mater, the University of Jena in Thuringia. So it's local information to that state. And happily, an accurate translation has been provided. Again, that's in the blog that I mentioned a moment ago, uh, the uh, blog by Steve Kirsch. So people can rely on this. I've gone through the original and the translation. The summary of the paper is that the correlation between excess mortality in German states and their vaccination rate is uh, 0.31, which to any statistici statisticians uh, watching is uh, astonishing. Let's tap that again and look at the uh, scatter graph of the German states, obviously the point is that the line uh, is traceable from bottom left to bottom to, to top right. Um, the x-axis here is the VAX rate, so uh, down at something like 56%, Germany's least COVID jabbed state, um, well the, 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 the least three jab three are actually all four, four are actually four uh, former East German states. Uh, so Saxony at the bottom left and Thuringia is the next one up. They have the uh, two lowest jab rates in Germany 
and the lowest amount of excess mortality. Uh, populations also reflected, so the big blobs in the middle are states like Bavaria, Baden-Württemberg, North Rhine-Westphalia, which are far more populous than the other states. Uh, but look, the, apart from an outlier up top, which is Mecklenburg 4 Pommern MV, which has by far the highest excess mortality of a German state, uh, and is actually a mid-jabbed state, comparatively speaking, other than that, you can see the line going clearly up uh, to the right. We could talk about it a lot more, but the line is, is uh, fairly obvious. The conclusions, if you tap that again, uh, by the two professors who wrote the paper is, in their interpretation of results, the correlation is plus 0.31. In other words, it is very striking that the more jab states have more excess mortality, and they call it unexpected. They say that they would have expected this to be a negative correlation so that one should have been able to say the higher the vaccination rate of a German state, the lower the excess mortality. However, the opposite is the case, some good old German uh, academic honesty here, and this urgently needs to be clarified. Their data is from the well-known Robert Koch Institute, uh, Germany's CDC, and from the German statistical bodies at federal level, and they put in italics here their conclusion, which is the more jabs the more excess deaths. As simple as that. The most direct explanation, these are statisticians of course, so they give a direct explanation first, that complete vaccination, meaning are you up to date with your boosters, increases the likelihood of death. They offer two indirect explanations about age-related factors and stress-related factors, but they are as good statisticians starting with the obvious stuff. So there we are. People can go and read that all in English. Links to all the stuff in German and English are there from the blog I mentioned. Uh, and of if course, we head over to, to cut, cut in, Alex, all of this sort of, well, this type of professional analysis and the raising of concerns about the vaccines and deaths, none of this uh, discussed in the wider mainstream press, whether it's in Germany or, or UK or the rest of Europe. OK, take, take us on to Russia. We will. Um, while I'm on screen, I should agree with the uh, comment in the chat just now that the axes were truncated. So uh, for those watching visually, um, that we didn't start at zero. If you zoomed out to have the whole picture of the 16 German states, everything would be clustered together and it would look less dramatic. But that is statistically still a responsible thing to do, to zoom in on a section of the axis. So there's no deceit going on here. Right. Edward Slavsquat is a humorously named blogger uh, who has become convinced that there are forces in the Kremlin that are just as globalist controlled and gates controlled as in other countries. And here he's reporting how a Russian member of parliament, known there as a Duma deputy, is issuing an urgent plea to Russians to protect themselves and Russia from a coup d'etat. Uh, let's tap and see who this is. This uh, Duma deputy or Russian MP is Mikhail Gennadievich Djeliagin. He's a member of effectively the, the state-aligned, in other words, not overcritical left-wing opposition party for a just Russia. He comes originally from the Dmitry Rogozin stable, if that means anything to long-term Kremlin watchers. So he's one of those parties uh, which don't like to rock the boat too much and won't implicate Putin personally, but who are not convinced that there is enough social justice in the old-fashioned sense in Russian politics. So according to Edward Slavsquat, who summarizes Djeliagin's position, Djeliagin thinks there's a globalist plot afoot in Kremlin. It's just that Putin isn't part of it, which Slavsquat finds a bit of a, uh, a naive position. But uh, Dilyagin's speech to the Russian people is quite something. So we're going to get into that now. 
He starts off by saying, well, these are only the purple passages. People can read the whole thing from Edward Slavsquat's uh, version. He says, anyone who doesn't want to subject himself to a medical experiment is a deserter. For wartime deserters, it's a firing squad. That's what they're talking about. They are not exaggerating. It's not a fictional image. The former science fiction writer Sergei Lukyanenko wrote on his Facebook feed that he dreams of stormtroopers breaking down Russian apartment doors at night and forcibly vaccinating people. This is not a fictional image. Um, so too much to read out, but let's tap that again. Uh, he remembers, uh, Dilyagin remembers the 1990s under the wretched globalist born Yeltsin. Uh, he says back then the management of global banksters, as he calls them, was carried out through the IMF and through a Russian oligarch, Anatoly Chubais. Now, he says, under Putin, note that Dilyagin won't finger Putin personally, but uh, he, he's pointing to his circle. Uh, Dilyagin says nowadays external management will be done by big tech, social global platforms and big pharma through the WHO. There are more people in Russia at the moment who believe that the health authorities are a wedge being driven by the globalists into Russia. He says our mortality rate is already higher than it was in the 90s. Of course, with the, at that stage, Russians thought their country was becoming third world and the bottom was falling out of society, but it's now already worse than the 90s. He says they didn't experiment on you in the 90s. Next extract, uh, Dilyagin says he wrote a request to the prosecutor's office uh, of the investigative committee saying, gentlemen, denunciations are coming now. In other words, this, this is the fake news claims. Uh, you know, if you say anything off message, you'll be uh, required to apologize for it. That's what he's calling denunciations. He says, uh, we are being required to give up reason and become animals. They, they, the authorities in Russia, as in many other countries, says Dilyagin, they are already talking to us in the same way they usually talk to animals. The state now speaks so boorishly to the people. This is how they talk to the population of occupied territories who, for some reason, do not understand they are occupied. To accompany it at this point, Edward Slavsquat introduces an image which is very striking, which is a fumigator uh, in all the kit. Uh, fumigating a space at, I think it is the airport. I don't know whether it's Domodedovo or Sheremetyevo, but it says, welcome to Moscow in Russian up top with uh, Yuri Dolgoruki on the crest. So he's suggesting, or rather a Slav squat by transcribing and interposing the image here, that this is an example of an occupied country that doesn't know it's occupied. Uh, Dilyagin continues, this is an apartheid regime a coup d'etat. The reason he's getting so worked up is because in a couple of weeks' time, just as in other federal countries that we were talking about, the many Russian states, over a hundred of them, will effectively lose many of their competencies when a state of health emergency is declared at central level. And he finishes by saying it's even worse in Europe, I agree. And then he says to the more uh, progressive elements in Russia, do you admire Europe? Why is it an ideal for you? Why have we come, become such base admirers of the West? Uh, patriots used to, go, to turn to Europe uh, and say that we should unthinkingly copy Europe. And he said, rather cynically and pointedly says, well, if you want to start worship, if you want to worship Europe, you should start by raising wages. The Russian oligarchs and the Russian budget have sufficient money to do that. But he says, no, everything's decided in favor of profit. So I thought that was a very timely contribution. And I think it's worth noting that Jelyagin here uh, is more, has someone of a more geopolitical background. Of course, geopolitical analysts are ten a penny in the, in the Duma, uh, but he seems to be one of some quality and depth. And just last week, he was telling one of the Russian TV channels that he regarded Britain's current migrant crisis and as, as an attempt to swamp the EU and ultimately undo Germany. 
uh, and he thought that that's why the Brits are now sending SAS advisors to Ukraine uh, to advise them in inverted commas how to avoid the dreaded Russian invasion. So he says the Brits and Americans are actually setting uh, up a situation in which Germany will fall and the EU with it. So that's to give people some idea of his background. I know it sounds a bit conspiratorial to some of our viewers, but it's par for the course in Russian politics. All that to say that Dilyagin is not a right-wing extremist nutter. There are some in the Duma, uh, but he's actually a bit like our previous uh, German uh, contribution a moment ago uh, from a quite a long-time uh, liberal left skeptic uh, view. Back to Britain at this point, Brian. Well, the Lancet. Alex, if I may, I'm just going to say for our Ukrainian viewers, uh, we are paying attention to what goes on inside uh, Russia. But of course, our main focus is, is on the ills of the West. So I just want to make that comment because we have had um, some feedback from viewers in Ukraine that uh, they felt that we've covered Putin in a bit too, too much of a uh, rosy coloured uh, tint. Uh, well, we are watching Russia very, uh, very carefully. And thank you for bringing those points in. But yes, I'm extremely interested in the subject of magic because we can now see magic coming into the pharmaceutical industry. And um, before I hand over to you, Alex, I'm going to say I've got a very sharp eye on the clock. So Holland will be uh, a very quick section. Quite understandable. The Lancet, uh, of course, a very uh, prominent medical journal, uh, has got this uh, item. The lead author is the improbably named Roger Kneebone, who really does teach uh, surgery at uh, one of the London universities, Imperial. And uh, the title of the piece is Medicine, Magic and Online Performance. Uh, he's talking in the first extract I've got on screen about how clinicians are a bit like magicians. People can freeze the screen and read the, the rest. Clinicians must guide patients in a kind of performative way. In the lower section that we're about to bring up, he says that there's a shift of responsibility because of the drive to online performance, both for magicians and for doctors. Uh, he's talking about in-person shows, uh, unmuting on Zoom to enter a virtual stage when intimately uh, consulting your doctor. And here takes the biscuit, this takes the biscuit, uh, ringed in red now, the final paragraph of this piece by uh, surgeon Kneebone, I kid you not, he says that this collaboration, that's a medical collaboration with the world of magic, has heightened our awareness that performance in clinical practice is crucial for holistic medicine. Clinicians can learn much from magicians about ensuring that their patients experience, you go to, to, to see your GP for an experience, Brian, is the best experience it can possibly be. He speaks about knowledge, skill and wisdom coming together in a professional encounter. Now, says Nibone, in a time of panic-induced, pandemic-induced upheaval, what a Freudian slip, pandemic-induced upheaval, clinicians are reframing what it means to consult online. If performance is where medicine and magic intersect, the perspectives of experts outside medicine are more valuable than ever. I think we better just go straight through for lack of time. Uh, I will highlight quickly the couple of articles here uh, that we have on the next slides by <clears throat> a new um, feature since 2019 on the British magazine scene, The Critic, containing vaguely right-of-centre sceptics, although they don't tend to join in scepticism about COVID, but they do on many other constitutional issues, 
Sebastian Milbank has a piece on the online harms bill, barricading the bully pulpit, where he talks, and you can bring up the uh, the extracts while I speak. Uh, he talks about how British values and uh, uh, have been always trumped by the idea of safety above all. He correctly says this goes back to Thomas Hobbes. Uh, on the second bit, he talks about the online harms bill being an aristocrat's charter, telling the plebs that they can't insult high and holy people. Uh, that's for the high and holy to do to the low, meek and lowly. He speaks in the next bit about the bitter irony of a bill that pretends to, uh, as, as Mike has often uh, highlighted, pretends to be there for children's safety, but it, it reinforces the very untouchability of the elites who corrupt and harm the young. And he reminds us of Saville towards the end of the piece who got away with it because he was high and mighty. Uh, the next critic uh, item, again by Paul MacDonald this time, talks about the Europeanization of online harms thinking. He calls his piece, No One Expects the EU Inquisition. On the next tap, you will see that the EU has a proposed EU-wide Digital Services Act. The paragraph on screen I shan't read, but it is a brilliant summary by MacDonald of what the EU's proposed Digital Services Act will do. Hand powers of enforcement to the Commission and national regulators. Grant non-governmental organisations and identitarian organisations, this is the participatory democracy again rearing its head, Brian, it will grant them priority consideration. They will be super citizens. They will be more citizens than real people when they object to so-called harmful content that defends their collective interests. And third, it will talk about uh, the policing or chilling effect of making sure that the social media companies take down posts before they get any um, flack. Uh, Joshua Rosenberg, the uh, legal correspondent uh, for many years for the BBC and a very important figure <clears throat> in uh, legal commentary, has pointed out here in his blog, A Lawyer Writes, uh, that the title, by the way, is coming straight from the House of Lords Committee. We have government by diktat on the horizon and democracy denied. So he says that two little known committees of the House of Lords have joined forces today to publish reports of fundamental constitutional importance, if you bring that up. And each of the two committees has summed itself up very bluntly. So if you tap that again, you'll see, first the House of Lords Delegated Powers and Regulatory Reform Committee, uh, they decide when Parliament passes over its lawmaking powers to any other body outside Parliament. Their report is called Democracy Denied. The Secondary Legislation Scrutiny Committee, these are the people who look at the statutory instruments in which ministers pretend to be parliament, they're calling their report Government by Diktat. Tap once more, and I won't read it all, but freeze the screen for those who are very interested. This summary by uh, the latter named body there, which is the Secondary Legislation Scrutiny Committee, the summary of the paper called Government by Diktat by them, says that they intend to issue a stark warning that a critical moment has been reached in what's often known as Henry VIII powers. Uh, in 30 seconds, for those who don't understand what the fuss is about, we supposedly have parliamentary sovereignty. Uh, we are told that Parliament now has supremacy in legislation, but the government has always retained the so-called Henry VIII powers. And what uh, Parliament seems to be seeing now in the Lords is that ministers can just undo, repeal, rescind, annul legislation by Parliament, the will of Parliament. Uh, sadly, it's got too caught up in party politics and the manifesto trick that we often talk about. Even in the House of Lords itself, they should be looking at how royal assent is being done by Lords on behalf of the Queen. That's all, already an undoing of the Constitution. Uh, but there you go. It's starting to become clear, even to their Lordships, that we have diktat on the way. Uh, Alex, Brian, do you Alex, want to I, have the no, Dutch coverage or shall we stop no, there? We, I think we should end there on that extreme, extremely important point because uh, we, we've covered um, such serious information in this news today and essentially we are seeing policy just being enforced on the population, including the loss of freedoms and 
compulsory vaccines, even the government through its agents deciding when your life should end. And you've really hit the nail on the head with these this last uh, segment where we're starting to see that there is some sign of a, a backlash within the democratic pr process itself. So I think we should end on that point and we should be saying to our viewers, um, the whole point about the information that we're putting out is that we're giving an analysis of what's being done and how it's being done. Once you see that, once you understand it, of course, it's up to each and every one of our viewers to challenge what is taking place and to certainly get in contact with people who are showing the signs of doing the right thing. So I think let's end on a positive note there that uh, it's not all doom and gloom. Things are getting very bad, but that's jolting people awake, including people who are in the higher levels of this uh, very, very sick democracy. Uh, Patrick, any final words? No, no, nothing to add there, Brian, other than uh, thank you to everybody for uh, sending in your uh, news tips and uh, your emails. Uh, it's much appreciated. And yep. also uh, the letters and uh, the other messages we get. Of uh, support. Very much yep. appreciated. Okay, Alex, thank you very much for joining us. And I'll just say that uh, uh, Mike Robinson is feeling better. So uh, that's, that is uh, very good news. And thank you to everybody that's asked about him and how he's getting on. Um, we hope to see him soon. Meanwhile, the show goes on. And my final uh, note is I was sent this little booklet. It's called Flu Fighters versus Chili Achy and Snotty. Um, well, a few people should read this because this is propaganda for four-year-old children, ultimately telling them they should be vaccinated. So watch out for this. It's from the NHS. It's from Waltham Forest Council and an organization that calls itself Vaccination UK. More on this in due course. Thanks very much for joining us. Bye-bye.